Shalom. This is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Abrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you. We love you and we adore you. Father, thank you for this Shabbat. For this opportunity that you've given us to gather together as mishpacha, as family, to worship before you, to be joined in spirit and in truth in the power of your Ruach HaKodesh. Lord, I pray that as we open up your word today that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be your word received, that nothing of myself will be involved except that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose. Father, I pray that as we dig into uh, your Torah, that you will reveal the truth of your light of Messiah in our hearts and our lives, and we are open to receive from you. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen. This week, we are in Parsha Vayachel. Um, you know, it's actually, I'll say this with a, a, a side note, there's nothing to do with a message, but uh, I, I, I always love how things end up panning out in our day-to-day life and, and as we move through. So as we said earlier in the service, next week is Ian's Bar Mitzvah. I'm going to pick on him for a moment uh, because I can. But next week will be Ian's Bar Mitzvah. Uh, technically, his Bar Mitzvah should have been last year. And so last year's Bar Mitzvah would have been a, tor- uh, a double Parsha. Vayachel Pekel Day, most years is a double Parsha with exception of leap years where it is uh, separated Parsha. So uh, I personally... I'm a fervent believer that our Bar Bar Mitzvah Parsha speaks directly into our calling, that as we dig through the, the Parsha that happens to fall in line with the time period that we're born and when our Bar Mitzvah would be, that we can start to see the fulfillment of what God's vision, His purpose, His yearning for our own lives is as we live, breathe, and serve Him with the breath that He has given us. Um, prime example, and this is just... Uh, 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 something interesting is if Martin Luther King Jr. had had a bar mitzvah, uh, his bar mitzvah parsha would have been Moses standing before Pharaoh saying, let my people go, uh, which ultimately is kind of a foreshadowing exactly what he did in his role in the civil rights movement. Uh, if, heaven forbid, if Adolf Hitler had had a bar mitzvah, his bar mitzvah, his haftorah parsha for his bar mitzvah would have been the promised restoration of the nation of Israel, which lo and behold, because of his horrendous actions is actually what happened. Uh, my Bar Mitzvah Parsha is the shortest Parsha in the Torah, which is Deuteronomy 31. Joshua, the next generation of leadership of Israel, stepping up to take the leadership of the people of God and usher them into the promises of God. My Haftorah is Hosea 14, beginning with verse 2, uh, verse 1 in an English translation that says, Return to Israel to the Lord your God. Uh, and I believe fervently that part of my calling is not only being a part of the next generation of Messianic Jewish leaders uh, standing up to lead our people back to the Lord, but to lead them back to the Lord in Teshuvah, in Messiah Yeshua. Um, and so it's really interesting seeing this play out. So last year, his bar mitzvah, had he had his bar mitzvah at the right time, his bar mitzvah would have been Vayachel Pekodei. So this week, we're reading Parsha Vayachel. I'm going to speak on it. Next week, we're going to read Vayachel and Pekodei again, because although it's not a double Parsha this year, uh, I, I do think it's important that we hold to the reality of the Parsha that was his or is his. So uh, we will read Vayachel this week, or we have read Vayachel this week. We will read it again next week in our service 
Uh, the actual Parsha for next week is simply Pechel Day. Uh, but I think it's really important. And he's looked at his Parsha over and over again, and he's talked to me as we've met and, and gone over uh, his bar mitzvah and worked and trained. And he looks at me and he goes, you know, I, I don't know how this all fits yet, but I can really see how this is playing in my life some, especially the details of how everything works out. And I'll let his, his spiel next week, his speech next week, uh, speak more to that. Um, but it's just really cool. So by the way, if you want to know your bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah parsha, what it would have been had you had one, come talk to me. I'll be happy to look it up for you and you can go look for yourself and see how it feeds into what the Lord has called you to do personally. So with that random sidetrack out the way, and God only knows how many countless more that will arrive over the next little bit, uh, we will dive into Parsha Vayachel. Parsha Vayachel begins with uh, Exodus 35 verse 1. This is the second to last Parsha of Shemot of uh, the book of Exodus. Uh, this is uh, right before we jump into the uh, book of Bimibar, the, the book of Numbers. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, the book of Vayichra, the book of Leviticus. And as I've told you before, going from Exodus 1 to uh, the end of Exodus, what we realize is, is we cover approximately two years, give or take, of Israel's 40-year journey. From Leviticus 1 through the end of Deuteronomy, we cover 37, almost 38 years of Israel's journey. Uh, the whole, as a matter of fact, the book of Deuteronomy tradition says likely was all of about a month or so, maybe two months max of Israel's journey, uh, the 40-year wilderness experience that the book of Deuteronomy uh, was being written and detailed as Moses was relaying all of this again to the people of Israel. So as we look in this week's Parsha, in Parsha Vayichel, uh, Exodus 35, it begins with verse 1. We're going to actually begin with verse 4. It says, Moses said to all the congregation of Israel, this is the word which Adonai commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering for Adonai. Whoever has a willing heart, let him bring Adonai's offering. Uh, skipping down to verse 10, let every wise-hearted man among you come and make everything that Adonai has commanded, including the tabernacle, its tents, and its coverings, its clasp, and its boards, and crossbars, its pillars, and bases, etc., etc., etc. There's a whole lot of things there. I'm going to skip down to verse 20 and save some breath. Um, then all the congregation of Israel departed from before Moses. Everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit was willing came and brought out an ice offering to the work of the tent of meeting and for all its services as well as for the holy garments. Skipping down to verse 29 again. Every man and woman whose heart made them willing gave toward all the work that Adonai had commanded to be done by Moses' hands. So Israel brought it as a freewill offering to Adonai. Now I'm going to come back. To, I read that for a purpose. I'm going to come back to it in a second. But I want to set up a scene here for you, all right? So as we know, last week we read about the, golden, the, the, the sin of the golden calf. Israel making a golden calf and saying, you know, Moses on the mountain a little bit too long. They got scared. We don't know what happened to him. Maybe he died. He's got no food. He's got no water. Uh, Aaron, go build us a calf and we'll worship it. It will be that led us out of, out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt. And so Aaron, like an idiot, does exactly what was asked of him. Uh, and so we see that Aaron says, hey, we're going to do this calf, we're going to build this thing. I want you to bring me all of your jewelry, all of your earrings, etc., and we'll melt it down and we'll make an idol out of it. And Israel instantaneously rushes in and brings their offering of all of their jewelry to make the golden calf. Then we go to this week's Parsha. And in this week's Parsha, Moses has now come down. He has shattered the tablets. He is standing before Israel uh, again as they've now made a mess of everything. And he's reiterating to them what is about to happen. And so he tells Israel, I want you to go and uh, bring all of the gifts, whoever's heart is willing. Before it was, 
you know, a bunch of people who really didn't trust in God, who really didn't uh, have a, a true foundational faith in him, that when Aaron said, we're going to build an idol, they said, okay, sweet, here. Uh, this week, God says, I want a gift from you, I want an offering from you, but I only want it from those with a willing heart. I don't want it to be a guilt offering. I don't want it to be something that you're shamed into. I don't want it to be something that is, uh, is, is something you're not comfortable with. I want it to be from your heart. And so they immediately, as soon as Moses is done speaking, they rush off, they gather everything, they bring it to uh, uh, Bezalel and Aholiav for the purpose of building the tabernacle. I mean, it's an instantaneous reality. But what we see in last week's Parsha and the, the Parsha before that is great detail given to Moses on Mount Sinai about the tabernacle, its furnishings, the, 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 every aspect of the ministry of the tabernacle and what was going to go into it. And then this week's Parsha, we read all that over again. Now, before it was Moses, you're seeing this in heaven. This is how I want it all to pan out. This is what I want it to look like. And this week's Parsha, it's now they're actually building it. But he goes through the same tell again, and he lays it all out on the line. And, and I think it's really interesting as we look at this Parsha, the reality that God reiterates again to Israel uh, exactly how he wants the tabernacle built, exactly what he wanted, wanted to look like in consideration of the fact that it was just last week that they sinned beyond imagination. And I'm talking last week in our Parsha, not last week in reality. This is 3,500, 4,000 years ago now. But it was just last week that we read about all of their mistakes with the golden calf, and here it is again that God's reiterating this. And so it's interesting that we see two separate times in which the details of the tabernacle were given and given in great description. I mean, God gives down to the, 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 the foot, down to the inch. He gives very specific dimensions of how he wants everything built across the board with the tabernacle. So last week, as I said, it was right. He, he tells, them all, tells Moses this right before the golden calf is built. And then this week we read it. This is after the golden calf. And immediately Israel jumps into building or, or providing the means for the building of the tabernacle. And as we look at this, it's interesting to see that I think God's really trying to tell us something here. Heaven forbid trying to tell us something in the word. But I think God is really trying to tell us something here. First and foremost, I think what God is trying to tell us is that no matter what we do, no matter the sin in our life, no matter the temptation we allow uh, to weed its way into our life, God's purposes, his will for what he desires of his people is going to happen. doesn't matter how much we attempt to delay it, Moses was on the mountain. God's already telling him exactly what he wants of the tabernacle. The purpose of the tabernacle is for his presence to dwell in the midst of Israel. Remember, we were kicked out of the garden in which we were created specifically to live in the presence of God. God says, you can't be in my presence anymore. We're kicked out of the garden. Now Israel uh, is called out so God can show us an image of him placing his presence in our midst. We can't be in his presence anymore, but his presence can be among us. As long as there are barriers and, and blood sacrifice and, and, and such that goes into play to make it where we can be righteous for his presence to be in our midst, which is a foreshadowing of what happens when Yeshua dies on the cross, is buried, resurrects, he ascends into heaven, he pours his blood upon the mercy seat and the holy of holies in heaven so that we can then be made righteous and holy. We can be atoned for so that our sin can be out of the way, so that his presence can be in our lives, no longer just something that's in a building or a tent in the middle of the people, but instead inside of our very hearts. And Paul says that we are now a living tabernacle, a living temple for his presence to dwell, which is ultimately still yet 
of foreshadowing of what will come when we are reunited, when we are realigned uh, uh, with God's original purpose for humanity, that Adam and Eve's sin delayed a little bit, but never got in the way of what God's plan was, which was for his creation to reside in his presence. In the meantime, his presence resides among us, but the day will come again where much like in Gan Eden, much like in the Garden of Eden, we will be in his presence again in a very literal sense. And so here in this week's Parsha, we see this reiteration of all of the finite aspects and, and details of the tabernacle as the Lord reminds us yet again, no matter how far you try to take this thing off track, I'm in control. No matter how much you try to mess it up, no matter how much you give in to sin and temptation, my will and my purpose for my people will always come to fruition. And the reality is, is a lot of times we do try to get in his way. And what's interesting is after the golden calf, after the horrendous errors that were made there, the Lord still tells Israel of those that have a willing heart to give for the purpose of my presence being among you, bring your offering. And as we move through this Parsha, not only do they immediately rush out when Moses tells them to bring their offering, not only do they immediately rush out, but they rush out and they bring the offering and they bring the offering, they bring the offering, so much so that as the tabernacle and its pieces are being built in uh, chapter 36 of Exodus, beginning with verse 1, it says, So Bezalel and Aholiab are to work uh, along with every wise-hearted man in whom Adonai has placed insight and understanding to know how to perform all the labor for the service of the tabernacle according to everything Adonai has commanded. Then Moses called Bezalel, Aholiab, and all the wise-hearted men in whose minds Adonai had set wisdom along with everyone whose heart stirred him up to come and do the work. Skipping to verse 5. And so uh, um, Bezalel and Aholiab come to Moses, says, and they said to Moses, the people are bringing much more than enough for work, the work of this construction that Adonai has commanded to be done. So Moses gave an order and they proclaimed it throughout all the camps saying, let neither man nor woman uh, make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing more for the work material they had was sufficient for all the work with much left over. See, when they were making the golden calf in last week's Parsha, they only brought enough to make the golden calf. When they're making the dwelling place for the presence of God among the nation of Israel, God specifically asks only for those who have a willing heart to give and only for those who have a willing heart to be involved in the construction. And Israel brings so much, the nation as a whole brings so much in that immediately Bezalel and Aholiab are just getting started on the work. They say, look, look, Moses, you've got to stop them. You've got to slow them down. We have way more than we can handle, way more than is actually necessary. And it says they, were, they had enough to not only complete all the work, but have stuff left over. I think it's interesting that in the midst of everything that's happened, that it takes those with a willing heart to bring this offering, but when they bring it, they bring it more than could ever be imagined. As a matter of fact, in the Jerusalem Talmud, uh, Rabbi Abba Barachah says, there's no understanding of the character of this people, in other words, people of Israel. How can we wrap our heads around the crazy that is the people of Israel sometimes? He says, they were solicited for the golden calf, and they give, right? They were solicited by Aaron to bring something for this idol, and they happily give. And then they're solicited to bring for the Mishkan, for the dwelling place of the presence of God, and guess what they do? They give. We don't know why, we don't understand how, but, but they do. 
But not only do they give, but they give way more than could ever be imagined when it was for the dwelling place of the presence of God. You got to understand, these are people that are brokenhearted now because they realize the error of what they did with the golden calf. They're brokenhearted because they realize that the work that God has done to bring them to this point, they very well could have just demolished and destroyed and ruined. God told Moses, look, just get out of the way. I'm going to wipe them all out and start fresh with you. And Moses goes, I don't want to be blamed for that. <laughs> I don't want my children to be the ones that are doing that. Just continue working with them. Hopefully they'll get, they'll get better. I'm paraphrasing. It's not really what he said. But as we look at this, what we realize is the beauty of the heart of a giver. And I want you to understand this isn't just them talking about giving specifically for the purpose of building the tabernacle. But I think for us as believers in the 21st century who are living a life that is washed in the blood of the Lamb, that are living lives that are solely for the purpose of being a light unto the nations, that others may see the power and the presence of the living God among them. I think it's interesting that we have to understand that in order for God to use us in the way that He desires to use us, we have to just as Israel was, have a willing heart to give not only of our finances, not only of our material goods, not only of our time, but willingly give literally of our lives. Paul says that we are to be a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. That's not just somebody who shows up once a week or once every couple of weeks for service. That's not just somebody who opens their Bible up every once in a while. That's not somebody that has a big giant family Bible on their coffee table in their living room and they call themselves a believer because their parents went to church somewhere when they were younger and drug them along or sent them to VBS. He wants people who have a willing heart to wholeheartedly turn their lives over to him for him to use for his good and his purposes. For him to use for his good and his purposes. Romans chapter 8 verse 28. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, Now we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purposes. Israel was called to a purpose. They were called to a very specific purpose. And that purpose was to be a light to the nations. It was to be an example for the nations to see the power and the presence of God among his creation. And Israel messed up over and over and over again, yet God still continued to renew his call upon them. And they still continued over and over again to make Teshuvah to return back to him in faithfulness so that they could be used by him. And often in our lives, we find ourselves in situations where we are striving to serve the Lord, and yet it feels like the entire world, pardon the moment of word, this is crapping all over our parade. Every step we take, it feels like we're stepping in a pile of dog mess. That everything that we do feels like we're just walking into ruin after ruin after ruin. And we can't find our way out of darkness and the despair of what's going on around us. Often we are singularly responsible for, for, for those situations arising in our lives. We allow it to occur. Much like Israel in the golden calf. The enemy has no ground in our life that we don't cede to him. That we don't give to him. And so Paul says here, now we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew he is predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in view of these things if God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is the one who condemns. It is Messiah who died and moreover was raised and is now at the right hand of God and who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Messiah? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Though, uh, through him who loved us. For I am convinced neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. Doesn't matter what's happening around us. Doesn't matter how big we've allowed the golden calf to, big, to get. Doesn't matter how many high places we've allowed to be established in our lives. You understand how many times the Lord says, and, and, and numerically, I can't give you an official number, but it's over and over again that the Lord says in the Torah, tear down the high places. Tear down the high places. When you go into the promised land, tear down the high places so that you're not led astray to serve the gods of the land around you. So that you can be solely mine. I can dwell among you and I can use you for my purposes, for my will to be done for your good. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels or principalities, nor things of present, nor things that come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. If we can look at Israel, last week's Parsha, building the golden calf and seeing that God still used them, that God still called them, that God still used Aaron, then he's got so much more in store for you no matter how many mistakes you've made in your past or that you've made this morning that God still wants to use you. But here's the key. Like we said in, uh, like we read earlier in the, the Parsha, God didn't demand for Israel to give a gift. God didn't demand for Israel to bring something lest they die. Right? At the beginning of the Parsha, he says, you are to uh, honor Shabbat, you are to observe Shabbat, anybody that, that breaks the Shabbat, anybody that lights a fire, anybody that works in the Shabbat, they're to die. But he doesn't say anybody that doesn't bring a gift and offering for the building of the tabernacle will die. He says, I only want gifts from those with a willing heart. I only want gifts from those that love me so much that they will literally do anything to see my presence known in their midst and seen by the nations around them. You got to understand, this isn't just a discussion. And, and, and look, it'd be really easy to take the lazy route like a lot of people do. Uh, a lot of pastors and rabbis in reading this part should take the lazy way out and talk about finances and, and, and how it's necessary to give with a willing heart and yada, yada, yada. But I'm taking this a step further because that's a part of it. As I said earlier, we're a congregation believes fervently in giving tithes and offerings. It's a part of it, absolutely. But it's not just your money and it's not just your time. It is your life, people. It is your life because as much as there is a spiritual battle happening between good and evil, between God and the enemy, between the angelic forces and the demonic forces, as much as there is a spiritual battle happening for this world around us, there is a spiritual battle happening for your life and for each of the lives that God will put in your path for you to touch. 
And God wants to make his presence known in your life. He wants you to be that temporal dwelling place, that mishkan, that tabernacle for his presence to dwell in the midst of this dark world so that people will see his light and his presence in you. But he only wants it if you're going to give your life as a willing sacrifice, as a willing offering before him. And you got to understand, we can give financially all day long and our lives still be a total mess. We can keep Shabbat all day long, every day. I mean, it's not biblical, it doesn't work that way, but you could. It's still not going to matter if your life is a mess. You can show up for Yom Kippur every year, it's still not going to matter if your life is a mess. You can go and preach the gospel all day long to other people, but if your heart is dark and disgusting like the world around you, it still doesn't matter. People's lives, it's amazing watching how God will still produce fruit even when we aren't necessarily walking with him the way we should. But you got to remember, it's not for our purpose, it's for his. And he will work good for those that love him. And that love of him is part of what allows us to have our lives be that willing offering, that willing sacrifice for the building of dwelling place of his presence in our lives. We go forward to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. It says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one give as he has decided in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. And again, Paul here is literally talking about a financial giving. This, the context of this passage is Paul saying, hey, you remember when I told you I'm going to come by and I'm going to get up some money from you that I'm asking you to put aside so that I can bring it back to Jerusalem to take care of the Kedoshim in Jerusalem who are the foundation of the body of Messiah? Yeah, I'm coming for that, but I want you to go ahead and have it ready so that when I come, it's not some you know, game or some ploy or, or you feel like I'm just snatching money from you, but I want it to be put apart, put aside for the right reasons. So he says, let each one of you give as he has decided in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. How many of you show up to synagogue on Saturdays to worship God and you're cheerfully ready to worship? You're cheerfully ready to give of your own life for his purpose and his kingdom. How many of you feel the Lord lead you to talk to that person behind you in the grocery store line and you cheerfully are willing to give? in that situation. It's not just finances, people. It's every aspect of our life. And God is able, verse uh, 8, and God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that by always having enough of everything, you may overflow in every good work. As it is written, he scattered widely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now the one who supplies seed to the sower and bread for Food will supply and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all generosity, which through us brings about thanksgiving to God. For this service of giving is not only supplying the needs of the Kedoshim, but is also overflowing with many thanksgivings to God because of the evidence of this service, they praise God for the obedience of your affirmation of the good news of Messiah and for the generosity of your contributions to them and to everyone. And in their prayer for you, they long for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, as I said, Paul is talking specifically about monetary giving, but I'm telling you it goes beyond that. 
Because what you give financially to the body of Messiah doesn't matter if all it is is you're trying to cover what you're not giving for the body of Messiah. God wants that we become that temporary dwelling place, that mishkan, that tabernacle. And as you can read in last week's Parsha, this week's Parsha, next week's Parsha, and all the way through the book of Ayichra, through Leviticus, God's kind of a detail-oriented individual. And as detailed as he described the way that the tabernacle should be built and function and how the priesthood should be dressed and operate, much more so do you think he is defined for the life of a believer, which is the temporary dwelling place, the Mishkan today, to be so that we can walk in righteousness in him so the world can see him, believe in him because of our lives. It's easy for us to give money it's easy for us to show up and be willing to swing a hammer or swing a paintbrush. Um, I've been told by a certain individual in the synagogue I'm not allowed to be here for those parties anymore. But uh, I'm not a good painter by any means. Uh, <laughs> inside the lines, outside the lines, it doesn't matter. Uh, but as easy as it is for us to do those kinds of things, a lot of times it's in the more complicated things such as a true life of devotion, dedication, and service to the Lord, that we fall short in a willing heart giving to the Lord. And it's in those very times that it is more necessary than ever, just as it's in those moments when we can't afford to tithe that we can't afford not to. It's just as much important in those moments of difficulty in our walk of faith that we can't afford not to dig further into the presence of God with a willing heart. Not just because somebody told us in the discipleship class that we are supposed to. Not just because we have some head knowledge about it. But because God wants a willing heart. Solely and completely dedicated and devoted to Him. And going back to Romans 8 and closing. Now we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. Who are called according to His purpose. You are called according to his purpose. And he wants you to willingly, cheerfully, wholeheartedly give of your life for his kingdom purposes so that the world around may see him and his presence in our lives and be impacted for the kingdom of God. I think far too often... We think it's other people's job and duty to be that person. We look to missionaries and evangelists. We look to worship leaders and pastors and rabbis. We look to youth leaders. We look to, to Shabbat school, Sunday school teachers as though they're the end-all, be-all and those sitting in the chair, we can just take up space and look okay and it'll be all right. But the reality is, is the call of God is equal upon all. And that call is that we give a willing heart that we give willingly as a living sacrifice so that others' lives can be changed. You know, that great commission to make disciples of all nations. It's not something just upon the evangelists, the missionaries, the rabbis, the pastors, the small group leaders, and whatever else. It's upon each and every one of us who breathe the breath of life and are washed by the blood of the Lamb to go and see the world come to know Messiah. And that takes us being willing to make our lives a willing sacrifice, a willing offering for his purposes. Amen.
Abrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you. We love you and we adore you. Lord, I ask that as we uh, move forward from this Shabbat into the ordinary work week, that we will see a transformation in our lives, that we will see a transformation in our willingness to serve you with everything that we are, that we will see a transformation in who we are because of who you are. That, Lord, we will impact the world around us not because it's our duty or our responsibility, but because it is our desire to be in line and in tune with your will, with your way, and with your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit, Lord. Breathe a new vigor, a new life, a new response within us that your kingdom may be impacted by many, many, many lives coming to know your saving grace and atonement through Messiah Yeshua because of the work that you are and continue to do in our lives day in and day out. Father, we thank you, we love you, and we glorify your holy name, and we recognize that we are here for you, that you have breathed your breath of life into us because you love us and desire nothing more than relationship with us and through that, relationship with others. Hashem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen.